But before that, I want to share with you from Luke chapter 2, if you would turn there. Luke chapter 2, beginning with verse 1. By the way, I'm not against suits, but they sure do feel like, I feel like I'm in a monkey suit when I wear one now. I don't know why. There's some of you say, well, you finally look like a preacher. I said, well, if I'd start acting like one, that'd be better. But uh, I wear it when it's appropriate, and hopefully y'all don't get too bent out of shape when I don't wear one. But everybody has a tradition. Some people think preachers ought to be in a suit. Some think preachers ought to. I never have figured out what a preacher ought to do, to be honest with you, except preach and, and love you, and you love me, and we try to take care of one another. Isn't that what it's all about? I, you know, everything else, I get, I get kind of lost in all of the different traditional things, so y'all bear with me. Luke 2, verse 1. At the time the Roman emperor Augustus there was a decree that a census should be taken throughout the Roman Empire. This was the first taken which Quirinius was government of Syria. All returned to their own towns to register for this census. And Joseph was a descendant of the king of David, and he had to go to Bethlehem to Judea, David's ancient home. He traveled there from the village of Nazareth in Galilee. He took with him Mary, his fiancée, who was obviously pregnant by this time. And while they were there, the time came for her to, to, to have a baby and the baby to be born. She gave birth to her first child, a son. She wrapped him in, and the New Living Translation says, snugly in strips, but we know it's swaddling clothes, and laid him in a manger. Because there was no room for them in the village inn, in the inn. This morning I want to speak to you just a moment before we celebrate together uh, around the Lord's Supper. Have you made room for Jesus in your life this Christmas? Is it like here, no room for him? You know, in the fall of 1775... There was a, man, a manager of Baltimore's largest hotel who refused lodging to a man dressed as a farmer. He was grungy looking, dirty looking, wasn't going to uh, have a place for him. So the man left and went to find a room somewhere else. Shortly after, the manager discovered that the man he refused lodging to was none other than, at the time, Vice President Thomas Jefferson. Trying to make amends of what the blunder that he made, he saw, sent a message and said, I'm sorry, we do have a room for you, but Jefferson told the messenger this, tell him I've already engaged in a room. I value his good intentions highly, but if he has no place for a dirty American farmer... He has none for the vice president of the United States. In much the same way, when the Lord Jesus came into this world, there was no room in the inn for him or his wife. 
After more than 2,000 years, nothing's really changed, has it? There are no vacancy signs displayed everywhere. And many in the hearts and homes of the American people in the United States. You're here today, and I, I would believe because of your presence that you make room for your Savior in your house, in your home. You're not ashamed of him. You acknowledge him as the reason for the season. The old hymnist put it this way when he said, No beautiful chamber, no soft bed, no place but a manger, nowhere for his head. No praises of gladness, no thought of their sin, no glory but sadness, no room in the end. No one to receive him, no welcome while here, no bomb to relieve him, no staff but a spear. No, no seeking his treasure, no weeping for sin, no doing his pleasure, no room in the end. The refrain goes, no room, no room for Jesus, oh, give him, oh, give him welcome free, lest you should hear at heaven's gates, there's no room for thee. Verse 7 says, And she brought forth her firstborn son and wrapped him in swaddling clothes and laid him in a manger because there was no room for him in the end. You know, everywhere we turn, <clears throat> and as I preached a week or two ago about Joseph, not a whole lot in the Bible about Joseph. And so there's a lot of speculation also of the innkeeper. Not a lot said about him as well. But wouldn't you hate to go down in history as the man who, or the innkeeper who had no room for Jesus? Now, young and old in here, mostly there might be a few that never have heard of the, the basketball player Michael Jack, or Michael Jordan, not Michael Jackson. In my estimation, and I'm not an expert, but I would think that he would be one of the most leading people of his time uh, in terms of playing basketball. In 1982, he, in the U, he led the UNC National Championship team and held and led the Chicago Bulls to three consecutive NBA championships. However, when he was in high school, a sophomore, he was cut from the softball team by his coach. Think about that now. How would you like to be remembered as the coach who cut Michael Jordan from the basketball team? Well, here's the innkeeper. And uh, I'm pretty sure that he was definitely unaware of who was in his presence. I'm sure he knew the promises of the coming, coming Messiah but he never anticipated that it would be his end. He never anticipated that the Messiah would actually be coming into the world where he was the innkeeper. Not only was he unaware, but he was unsympathetic. Here stood Mary just about to give birth, but it, nothing seemed to be recorded other than the fact you must go and find a place somewhere else. Not very sympathetic, was it? Very unsympathetic. Throughout our life and throughout our world, where man has always been careless about the, the t- 
teachings and about the love and about the Savior that was born in Bethlehem. You know, today, there's no room in many areas, but I'm just going to mention one or two. One is when it comes to the season, we've often, we see it, there's no room found for Jesus. We live in a world that continues to join at the crowd of having nothing to do with the Savior. As a matter of fact, in our own public schools, it's uh, unpopular to bring or to read the Bible, and it's definitely unpopular to bring about Jesus and, and the fact that he is the Messiah. Even in the season that bears his name and celebrates his birth, the Lord Jesus still has no room. The Christmas season has increasingly been under attack, and there's always a lot of attention drawn around the businesses where it's kind of like reading as you grew up the Scrooge who, who, or the Grinch who stole Christmas. We have liberals and anti-Christian groups like the Americans United for the Separation of Church and State who, are, who have joined arms with Satan and doing everything they can to steal the real reason and celebration for Christmas. Thanks to such groups, now it's now politically correct to say happy holiday. I just want to slap. Well, I shouldn't want to do that, but I do. Instead of Merry Christmas, happy holiday. It's the holiday tree or friendship tree. And according to Martha Stewart, she calls it the Mount Holly tree. Well, since I was born, I'm going to meddle a minute, but since I was born, my, I've always seen a tree in my house. And, and I've had different people through the, through the years come to me and say, Preacher, that tree's pagan, ain't it? Well, if it is, I've always had one. And, and I got to thinking about tree being pagan. Let me ask you something. The money that you have in your pocket, isn't it pagan? If, if, I mean, if we're just going to take a tree, now that one God didn't make. I, I give up the live one a long time ago. I joined roots with the fake trees. But, but if I'm going to look at the tree as the sake of being the tree or the money as sake of being money, it could be pagan. What makes it pagan? Is it because it's a tree? Didn't God make the trees? Didn't God set up the money system? I got to looking at my tie. My tie could be pagan. As it has uh, stockings on it and, and, and balls, uh, Christmas tree balls on it. All that could be pagan. But what makes it pagan? I'll fix that tie. I know it'll bog the bell of some of you. What makes it pagan is when we take money and we kneel and we worship it. When we totally root out the fact that Jesus ever existed and that the, re- the real reason of the season is not money, it's not a tree, it's not Santa Claus, it's not gifts. It's a real person who came to give us an eternal gift who loves you more than you can ever love yourself. 
You see, that tree is no more pagan than this money as long as I don't worship it. But if I worship it, your kids could be in a form, in a sense, paganistic. If you make them an idol and you worship them and you rule out the Savior of the world, come on. It's, he's he the, re, the reason for the season or he's not. I've never worshipped a Christmas tree and had one all my life. I've never worshipped a gift. And I never got it goofed up about the red man and a white beard. Some people do. But let me tell you something. Red suits, sorry. <laughs> what do you teach them about Mother Goose? You know, and some of you get all offended. Let me tell you something. What you don't want, I don't care if it's a tree. I don't care if it's money. I don't care if it's a, a gift. You don't want your kids to grow up and think that, this, that Christmas is all about that. It's about Jesus. And if there was no Jesus, there would be no Christmas. Now, our world is a different place. You just don't want your kids... Growing up, I went to school with a woman that she had parents that taught her about Christmas, and she got it all messed up. And then when she found out what the truth is, you know what? She wondered if Jesus was true, too. Just be careful. God's people always have to stand on the truth. So whatever you do, it's up to you as parents. I just stood on the truth. And you must tell so. I had the nicest Christmas list. The longest one in town. Till daddy looked at it and said, you'll have to cut it down. I knew that what he said was true beyond the faintest doubt, but was amazed to hear him say, you've left your best friend out. And so I scanned my list again and said, you know what? That's true. But daddy said, his name was not there, the friend who died for you. And then I clearly understood, Twas Jesus that he meant, for him who should come first of all, I hadn't planned a cent. I've made a Christmas birthday list and left the Savior out. That's pagan. But, oh, it didn't take me long to change the list about. And though I've had to drop some names of folks I like a lot, my Lord must be the most because his name wasn't at the top. By the way, let me say, ladies and gentlemen, to you real quickly, if Jesus is not the top of the list at this Christmas season in your home, then you have made no room, no room for Jesus. Then also, we see there's no room for Jesus spiritually today. Listen to what took place. Some cool stuff. I just wish I'd have been there. Verse 8. That night, some shepherds were in the fields outside the village guarding their flocks of sheep. Suddenly, an angel of the Lord appeared among them, and the radiance of the Lord's glory surrounded them. 
They were terribly frightened, but the angel reassured them, don't be afraid, he said. I bring you good news of great joy for everyone. The Savior, yes, the Messiah, the Lord has been born tonight in Bethlehem. The city of David, and this is how you'll recognize him. You'll find the baby lying in manger, wrapped in swaddling clothes. And suddenly the angels was joined by a vast host of others. And the armies of heaven begin to praise God. Glory to God in the highest and peace on earth to all whom God favors. And the angels then went back to heaven. It was important to them. It was important to them enough to show up in favor of the Son of God, of Jesus. You know, the question I think that all of us need to ask is if Jesus is lifted to where he needs to be this time in your life and mine, my question is, have you opened your heart to him? Have you? Is your heart open? I'm going to tell you something. Being a Baptist preacher, there have been times in my life that I got kind of hard-hearted because of people. But then I realized, Lord, if my heart is hard, shouldn't Jesus' heart? And his heart's not hard toward anybody. Yeah, you can pick out all of the negative things in life you want to and try to describe Jesus. But I'll tell you what, there's a ton of stuff in there that tells you what positive Jesus done for you. Sometimes we need to look at the positive side. All too often, we're like the little boy who was getting ready for Christmas and he was starting early, like many of your kids do, and maybe you did growing up. And he had this one item he wanted more than anything else. And he wanted his mom and dad to know what that item is. His item was a watch. It was a special watch. It was a very fairly expensive watch. He wanted this watch more than he wanted anything else. And, man, he, just, he was reminded his mom and dad all the time, this is what I want, Mom. Uh, dad, I want a watch. He talked around... T- Walked around the house talking about that watch. When he's at the uh, breakfast table, he'd leave ads in the paper about that watch. And he'd tell them, now, this is what I want for Christmas. I want the watch. And finally, Mama said, hey, cool it. I'm tired of hearing about this. I think we got it. Hush. There's more going on in life other than you wanting a watch. So all of a sudden, a day later went by. He decided, you know what, I'm going to listen to, to mom, and, and I'm going to do what she said. But then he found a verse in the Bible, Mark 13, 37. What I say unto you, he said, Mom, I want to, I've been memorizing the Scripture. I've been remember, memorizing the Bible, I, and Jesus said this. Well, let's hear what he says. He said, okay. What I say unto you, I say to everyone, watch for his return. You see, some of you take the Bible and you try to do that too. You try to take it out of context. You try to make it say what you want it to say. 
And some of you only have half of a perspective of even who Jesus really is. And then there are times, all of us at Christmas time, you're buried in the fact of what you want. And by golly, if I want it, I'm going to get it. But you see, it ain't about you. I don't think you mind me saying this, Steve, but when I drove out to his house and, and I saw only part of his house, I was spent. And the rest of it burnt to the ground. Man, what a hole. I remember when I first came and moved to this county. I was here one month on the, on the graveside doing a funeral. Dale Reed sent a word over and said, your home's been broken into. You need to come home. So I'll tell you what. I felt violated. I can't imagine, Steve, and Misty, what you feel like. I've never lost a home completely by fire. But you know what? I like what Steve said. Nobody was hurt. And we got a lot to be thankful for. Now, I'm going to tell you, that's not the world's view. That's not the way the Lord uh, uh, the world looks at it. They look at it from the perspective that God's mad at me. God ain't mad. God loves us. And God cares. And we've got people that always jump to the side. Well, you know what? I could look for reasons why God took two of my little girls. And he probably could look at a couple of reasons now. I wish he hadn't. But you know what? We need to realize that bad stuff in this, in this life happens to good people. It just does. <clears throat> Christmas don't mean from the world's view and from your view. Many of you, you haven't lost your mama. You had not lost your daddy. You had not lost kids. You don't know what all that's all about. I didn't either. I preached to many a funeral, didn't have a clue what those folks were going through. But I know now. Does Christmas mean the same to me to me? Than when I was a kid coming up, and even as a pastor at this church? No. I have to fight depression during Christmas. I have to fight it like a plague. Some of you say, well, you're just so unspiritual to deal with. Don't you know that Jesus? Yeah, I know all of that. But I also know I live in a human body, too. And I have human emotions. And I'm sorry. I can't look at Christmas like last night when our families got together and I looked at my grandkids. They got their parents here. They got, all, they got most of their grandparents here. And they were able to look at it without any pain. But you know what? We can't do that. I can't. There's pain in my heart. But it's not bad pain. It's homesick pain. I want to go home. And many of you do too. I want to go see all of those who are on the other side. 
because I'm going to tell you something. It ain't bad over there, but it's tough over here. And it's going to get tougher. This world ain't going to get better, guys. It's going to get worse. So as our 